This is BT Techno, a regular podcast series for financial advisors wanting to remain at the forefront of strategy, regulatory and industry news. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's Techno Podcast. I'm Sarah Conti and I'm the Senior Manager, Advice Technical and Regulatory for BT. I'm part of the BT Technical Services team, a group of qualified individuals who can help you as advisors answer any technical advice strategy related queries you might have. As we celebrate International Women's Day, a day that recognises not only how far we have come toward gender equality, but also how far we have to go, it's essential we consider how finances play a part in this journey toward equality. What's also worth considering is what role financial advisors can play in helping their female clients break the bias. Joining our podcast today is Lauren Jackson, Director and Regional uh, sales Manager for Queensland at Fidelity, and Kirsty Weimer, Head of Risk Strategies and Research at BT. Thank you both for being here today. Great to be here. Yes, great to be here. Now, before we get stuck into our discussion, I wanted to share some statistics from the Workplace Gender Equality Agency with you. In May 2021, the national gender pay gap was 14.2%. Women earn, on average, $261.50 per week less than men. Four in 10 employers have narrowed their pay gap since last year. However, the pay gap has widened for 37% of employers, while 21% remain static. Men are twice as likely to be highly paid than women. They are twice as likely to be in the top earnings quartile, earning $120,000 and above while women are 50% more likely than men to be in the bottom quartile, earning 60000 or less. In the spirit of International Women's Day and reflecting on how far we've come, there are certainly some positives. You know, 42% of employers focused on narrowing the pay gap, as well as employers' increased awareness that time out of the workforce impacts retirement incomes, with four in five employers paying superannuation on parental leave. These stats give us some immediate insights as to why women have been lagging behind men when it comes to investing. Um, Kirsty, what trends are you seeing in your work in terms of women's participation in investing? So the proportion of women who are starting to invest is picking up pace, but the proportion of female investors still lags behind men and women appear both from surveys and actual asset allocations to be more risk averse than men. By risk aversion as well, I mean the tendency for women to hold higher allocations to less risky assets than men. This perceived risk aversion could be a function of a lack of confidence when it comes to investing. A study by Merrill Lynch and AgeWave found that whereas 84% of women are confident budgeting, only 52% of women feel confident in managing investments compared to 68% of men. So, Kirsty, um, if confidence is a barrier to some women investing, uh, what do you want to tell women about investing they may not know? It is in your wheelhouse. Don't be put off by the jargon. After all, budgeting in finance speak becomes asset liability management, which sounds really intimidating, but is still just budgeting. Also, though women may lack confidence when it comes to investing, they are good at it. An early 1990s study by the University of California, Berkeley, based on 35,000 brokerage accounts over a six-year period, found that men traded on average 
45% more than women, and in doing so, reduced their net returns by an average 1% more than women. That result of, dare I say, female outperformance has been reiterated by further studies by Fidelity in 2017 and Goldman Sachs, who considered professional investors' performance versus benchmark in 2020. Lauren, the Financial Power of Women research recently published by Fidelity states that through investing, uh, women have the potential to improve their financial outcomes over time. Can you share with our listeners some of your findings from the research? Sure. Thanks, Sarah. So, yes, Fidelity International has conducted a number of studies in market when it comes to the financial independence of women. Our latest study, completed just in January this year, found that many women still feel trapped by their financial situation and lack the confidence or knowledge to break out of these circumstances. So when asked to define financial independence, the most common answer given by women is having a personal income so you don't have to rely on financial support from others. But fewer than one in two, so 49%, say that they feel financially independent, compared with around three in five men, or 58%. Now, interestingly, most women, or seven in 10, are actually motivated to achieve financial independence. So two in three women say that they would like to take more control of their financial future, but they are not sure how to go about doing that. So I believe that this presents a significant opportunity for the finance and investment industry in Australia to step up and do more to support women in this goal. Some other interesting facts from our research include around one in two women suggest that investment communication is complicated and one in four described it as intimidating. So clearly we have some work to do here, I think. As we also know, people who receive financial advice tend to be more confident and positive about their financial situation. And this research has shown the same trend. Of those women who are not yet retired but have a financial advisor, one in five women say that they never or rarely worried about money compared to one in seven who are unadvised at this stage. And sorry, and advised women also have more confidence in their capabilities. So the research showed that they are five times more likely than unadvised women to rate their knowledge of financial matters as very good. So clearly this kind of confidence is key to taking control of your financial future and engaging with strategies and plans that provide for a solid financial future. Yeah, Lauren, the Fidelity research also looked at a number of myths when it comes to women and investing. What did it find here? Yes, yeah, so in our previous research conducted in 2019, so the Financial Power of Women report, there are a number of myths that we highlighted when it comes to women and investing. Quite a few, actually. So to highlight a few for our listeners today, I'll start with our myth number one, which is that women prefer to keep money in the bank as it's safer rather than make investments. Now, this is actually false. So although participants believed there wasn't a large gender difference in believing the bank provides safety, some women did talk about keeping money in the bank as a safety net. So this was a separate pool of money, however, to the money that they're using for additional investments. 
If I go on to myth number two, this is that women are more, more likely to give any extra money that they have to their kids or their parents as they think that they need it more than them. So this is actually true because participants felt that this had some truth to it, uh, but they did perceive women to be largely more generous than men, which is viewed as a learned behaviour and a positive, of course, rather than at a detriment to their own personal wealth accumulation. Some, however, believe that this was more determined by our personalities as opposed to specific genders being more or less inclined to help others financially. Myth number three was that women are more likely to look after the house while men deal with the finances. So again, this is actually false and it may have been true for our previous or older generations, but younger women are just as likely to look after the finances with men, according to the participants in this recent study. And lastly, if I think about myth number four, uh, and that is that women often invest based on goals for themselves and their families, rather than focusing on performance. Now, though this is based on some truth, uh, as women who participated tend to focus on the goals that they wanted first, which is what motivated them to invest in the first place, rather than just the performance outcome. Yeah, Lauren, some great insights from that research, particularly when you consider the role financial advisors can play in that. Um, I guess with this in mind, Kirsty, how can financial advisors help women navigate the world of investing? Particularly when investing in volatile markets, you don't have to go it alone. A 2020 ASX Australian Investor Study found that 84% of advised investors found their financial advisor helpful in managing the impact of COVID-19, with 41% saying they were extremely or very helpful. At the heart of investing is the risk-return trade-off, which comes to the fore during periods of market volatility. I think a really important role advisors can play to help clients stay invested and stick to their long-term investing goals is to help their clients understand risk, specifically the difference between standard risk measure, which is a short to medium term measure of risk quoted in PDS, with risk to retirement income, which is a long-term measure of the risk of being unable to maintain the desired standard of living in retirement. Understanding risk is particularly important for women, given that research consistently shows women are more likely to hold higher allocations to so-called low-risk assets than men, and women are expected to live longer than men, meaning they'll need their retirement income to last for longer. Kirsty, can you give our listeners um, an example of the risk measures you're referring to here? Sure. First up, let's consider cash. Cash under the standard risk measure approach is generally categorised as low to very low risk because it is only expected to have a very low risk of a drawdown. But in a retirement context, and particularly for clients below the preservation age, having a high allocation to cash can be a very risky investment given that it currently has a negative real return. That's not to underplay the importance of diversification and portfolio allocations to defensive assets, because we do also need to recognise that risk changes with age. If your client is older and drawing down on their investment portfolio as income, then a market correction will impact them differently to a young person with years to go before retirement. 
That's because the older person will need to realise part of their investment portfolio and thereby realise losses during a market correction to maintain their income, whereas the young person won't need to. The market correction may actually work in the young person's favour if they're following a rebalancing strategy. Therefore, helping women define their investment goals and then stick to their plan by understanding their risk-return trade-off is, I think, a vital role advisors can play in helping women navigate the world of investing and optimise their investment outcomes. Um, Lauren, you mentioned before people who receive financial advice tend to be more confident and positive about their financial situation. Um, If you had three tips for financial advisors engaging with female clients, what would they be? Actually, this is a great question, Sarah, because here at Fidelity, we held some women and wealth advisor focus groups across both Victoria, Sydney and also Brisbane just two weeks ago and looked at areas where we can all improve our engagement with female clients. Now, we've already talked about communication, uh, and this was a consistent message across each of those focus groups. Women like to be communicated in a way, or communicated to in a way that helps them focus on their priority issues or goals. In addition to that, being transparent and honest is absolutely key because there is no doubt that this helps us all fast track trust. Lastly, it highlighted to us that women want to feel empowered. So they don't necessarily want to be told what to do. They want to be informed or they want to make informed decisions for themselves. And advisors can really play a key role in building that knowledge and confidence for clients in the future. Um, Lauren, they're great tips. Uh, Look, I think industry also has a role to play in helping bridge the gap and break the bias. Kirsty, what can the investment industry do to engage more effectively with women? Yeah, that's a great question. There is plenty of research to back the conclusion that women use language differently and need a deeper understanding of why they are investing which suggests that tailoring the way we provide product information and write risk surveys to cater to different levels of financial literacy is particularly important to engage effectively with women. I think an especially interesting branch of industry research is into NLP, which stands for natural language processing and its potential use to make the financial information we provide more relevant and risk surveys more effective. Examples of NLP already in our daily life are predictive text and email filters. How NLP could help make financial information more accessible for women is by learning from women's answers to questions, their level of financial literacy, for example, and then tailoring further questions or information to that level of financial literacy which also assumes, of course, that the NLP algorithm has a store of financial information catering to different financial literacy levels to draw on. Tailoring financial information to financial literacy borrows from research done into mitigating unconscious bias from IQ tests, for example, which recognise that how we ask a question may impact how an individual answers. Kirsty, that's a really interesting angle and one where some institutions have already made inroads into, haven't they? Yes, they certainly have. For example, at BT, we have a range of ways to make financial information more accessible. We provide educational materials for advisors and also for investors. 
We also have a chatbot named Blue that can help customers with questions such as how to read statements through to recent product changes. Blue works hand in hand with our experienced team members who can assist customers over the phone and give priority care. Accessing professional financial advice is also vital and the industry is currently challenged on how to make this more affordable and accessible. For BT, we have a role to play in helping advisors use platform technology and products to achieve business efficiencies, which can in turn help to keep the cost of advice affordable. Lauren, what's your view on this? Oh, Kirsty has raised some great points here. And if I think about the outcomes from some of Fidelity's research, the capacity for women to effectively access financial services and products remains one of the greatest hurdles to unlocking our financial power. One of the most important findings of the white paper is an opportunity that does exist for the investment industry to engage more effectively with women and to tailor products and services to our needs. Whilst not having the money available to invest is the most commonly cited barrier to investing, it is clear that knowledge gaps present another key barrier. Now, the limitations of the industry in delivering services that suit women are revealed clearly. So we've already talked about investment industry communications being seen as complicated by over half, so 52.6% of us. A quarter, 25% of us, seeing investment communications as intimidating. And about one in five, so 20.8% of us seeing them as being tailored to men. So in addition to that, women are less likely to feel that we have the right level of information or knowledge that we need to go about investing. Less than six in 10, so 58.8% of us, think that we know enough or have enough information compared to almost three quarters or 73.5% of men. So as a result, less than three in 10 of us say that we feel confident when it comes to investing compared to over half, so 50.8% of men who say that they feel confident. Now, from this position, it's clear how the investment industry needs to respond to cater better to the needs of female investors. So almost half of us, so 49.6% of us, do want greater transparency on the industry costs. More than a third, so 36.4% of us want greater education to help improve our understanding of investments. And just under a third, so 31.5% of us, want communications from the industry to be made more relevant and hence useful. So meeting these needs would encourage more women to either start investing or invest more. Finally, we, we can't talk about the gender pay gap without focusing on workforce participation. The 2021 Intergenerational Report acknowledges that female workforce participation has increased, but that there is scope for further increases. Things like changing uh, social attitudes, declining fertility rates, changing government policy, particularly in relation to childcare, increases in the availability of part-time work, as well as the rise of flexible working arrangements, have led to more women entering and re-entering the workforce. It's important to understand why so much emphasis is placed on workforce participation when it comes to the gender pay gap discussion. We know that the primary caring responsibilities fall disproportionately to women. Women are more likely to adjust their work patterns for caring responsibilities. 
In fact, the report states that 28% of women report their main reasons for working part-time was due to caring responsibilities compared to just 5% of men. We know that the pay gap has narrowed, but women's average weekly ordinary times earnings is $261.50 less than men. What's more alarming is 85% of Australian employers pay men more than women on average and that the pay gap persists in industries where women are overrepresented. Think healthcare, education and training. Now, according to the report, women are living longer and as more women enter and re-enter the workforce, they're accumulating retirement savings on their pay. The announcement of the removal of the $450 per month threshold where superannuation guarantee applies will benefit many women on lower incomes. That aside, while that gender pay gap continues, it makes sense that women's retirement savings will also experience a gap. In fact, according to ASFA's February 2022 superannuation statistics, the average superannuation balance for a male aged 60 to 64 is just under 360,000 compared to just over 289,000 for women. The intergenerational report states that the superannuation gender gap reflects the accumulated disadvantage women face during their working life. Women are paid less, women are more likely to work part-time, women take more career breaks and experience worse financial impacts from divorce. The report acknowledges that these reasons contribute to the gap, but suggests the main contributor will continue to be the working life earnings gap rather than the retirement system. Kirsty, these are some pretty sobering details. We certainly have a way to go before women reach equality in pay and break the bias. What are some measures women can implement to bridge the gap at different stages of their lives? I think the key point to make here is not to be a bystander to your investment journey. Investment decisions made across a woman's life can have a material impact on their quality of life, particularly in retirement. We've already talked a bit about risk capacity as a function of age. Risk capacity just means that assuming the same allocation to risky assets, a market correction can be expected to have significantly less adverse impact to a young woman's future retirement income than a woman post-preservation age or in retirement, which implies that the optimal risk allocation for a young woman is higher than for a woman post-preservation age or in retirement. Risk is also a function of super balance and salary. Kirsty, that's an interesting statement. Can you share a bit more about this? Yes, it seems counterintuitive. But because of the buffer provided by a full age pension, women with lower super balances may have more risk capacity than their counterparts with medium super balances who aren't expecting to receive the full age pension. That's because for the woman with the lower super balance, her retirement income is effectively flawed by the age pension. Risk is personal though, meaning that even if it might be theoretically right to have a higher allocation to risky assets, it may not be practically right if you are more likely to sell assets in a drawdown. Understanding the role taking risk can play in improving retirement outcomes and being prepared to tolerate periods of market volatility is particularly important for women with lower super balances. 
Another really important decision in this era of rising house prices, particularly for women who are expecting to receive the age pension, is whether and when to buy a house or to rent. Home ownership is becoming increasingly mortgaged. Most disturbingly, this trend is steepest for the pre-retirement age group of 55 to 64-year-olds, with 13% in 1996, rising to 40% in 2018, according to data from ABS 4130. From a housing cost perspective, the median housing costs of homeowners with mortgage are actually higher than those of renters, according to ABS data. The ABS did note that these housing costs include mortgage payments, which would include the principal component where applicable, and so can be argued to be a form of saving and not housing costs. Nonetheless, the point to make here is that the evaluation is not simple and other factors need to be considered, such as the size of the outstanding mortgage at retirement and prevailing interest rates to determine if it is better to own a home or not in retirement as an age pension recipient. This is an area, again, where I think advisors are absolutely critical to helping women make the decision that is right for them, considering their personal circumstances and preferences. No matter their age or super balance, women can optimise their retirement outcomes by getting the right advice and defining long-term investment goals, which consider their personal risk-return trade-off. The important thing is to play an active role in your investment journey. Yeah, Kirsty, some really interesting uh, numbers that you're talking there. Lauren, any final comments on how the industry is tracking to support women um, to bridge the gap and break the binds? Yeah, so to echo some of Kirsty's comments, these are all clearly really important topics to start to address as a conversation. And I do think that this is going to take some time. But we're really excited that the trends are all moving in the right direction. Uh, we do still have a long way to go, though. Importantly, as an industry, we're becoming much more aware of the hurdles that women face, what women want, and how we can overcome some of the obstacles that are currently in our way. More women are investing, so there are clearly some positive signs, but still a lot of opportunities to improve in the future. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, Kirsty, Lauren, thank you so much for your insights on this topic and for joining us on our podcast today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. It's great to see how far we have come toward breaking the bias and achieving gender equality. However, with the Workplace Gender Equality Agency citing it will take a quarter of a century before we close the gap, I think women have the right to say what more can be done. What more can be done at a societal level, at a government level, an employer level, and what can women do personally to break the bias and close the gap? Financial advisors play an important role in helping their female clients with this, whether it's as a budget advisor, an investment specialist, or an education partner, all of these essential components to improving financial literacy and empowering women to make financial decisions. Now, remember, if you have any technical questions, you can contact the BT Technical Services team on 1800 655 901 or by email to technical at And you can join us for our fortnightly BT Academy webinars where we discuss all things technical and regulatory in the advice space. 
Our next fortnightly session is scheduled for Wednesday, 16 March, when Matt Manning, BT Technical Consultant, will be presenting on the topic of what to expect financially when you're expecting. To register for that session, head to www.bt.com.au forward slash professional and follow the links to the BT Academy webinar series. There, you can also view our previous webinars on demand and all sessions are accredited for CPD purposes. Until next time, thanks for listening and bye for now. BT Tech knows and now you know. Join us next time to keep ahead of the curve for strategy, regulatory and industry news. This podcast has been developed for financial advisor use only and provides general information only. It does not take into account any particular individual's objectives, financial situations or needs.